This episode is brought to you by Monzo. Monzo is an app that makes it easy to manage your money and can even take the hassle out of managing shared finances with your partner. One of the most useful Monzo features is join accounts. Imagine an easy way to manage shared expenses, bills, and savings with your partner. With Monzo joint spending accounts, you can track shared expenses all in one place. All of your account transactions show up in a single transaction feed, so you know who spent what and where. From budgeting tools to instant notifications, Monzo keeps you informed and empowers you to make smarter decisions about your finances. Check the episode show notes to learn more about Monzo today. Now let's get back to the episode. Hey guys, it's RJ. And Angie. And this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Our guest today is Aaron Thomas. As a three-time winner of Atlanta's Best Divorce Attorney, Aaron is one of the nation's top experts in family law issues. He is a graduate of Harvard Law School and was recognized by peers as one of the fast and growing law firms in the state of Georgia. As a founder of prenups.com, Aaron is widely viewed as the go-to source for writing fair prenups. He carries a fundamental belief that establishing a solid financial foundation during engagement can prevent many common marital disputes. In this episode, we discuss all things prenups. Yes, prenups. And how a prenup can help couples avoid arguments during their marriage. We really hope you get a lot out of this episode. As always, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Angie? Good, good. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. This is a topic that we haven't really touched on the Rich by Intention podcast, but we're so glad you're here. So for those who may not know you, can you just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, Aaron Thomas. I am the founder of prenups.com. I have practiced family law for many years and have essentially taken the lessons that I've learned from a thousand divorces to try to figure out how to reverse engineer a successful marriage for myself and now others. Oh, a thousand divorces. Wow. Are that you- sounds like a lot of... Sound like a lot of work. That sounds like a lot. I mean, that's unfortunate, right? Because our whole platform is about keeping couples together. And we know that money issues is like a leading cause of divorce among couples. So I guess, can you just tell us like how you even decided to get into this line of work dealing with prenups and divorces and even starting prenup.com? Yeah, absolutely. I stumbled into being a divorce lawyer. No No kid says, I want to be a divorce lawyer when I grow up. I mean, I I wanted to be a lawyer for a long time, but I kind of got recruited into divorce work. And I started in my early 30s. My parents were still married. They just celebrated 57 years together last week. And when I started doing family law, none of my friends had ever been divorced. A lot of them hadn't even been married. I didn't really know anyone close who had been through a divorce. So I had no idea what, what it even entailed. I thought that if you got divorced... You just split everything 50-50. I had a vague knowledge that you keep what you had coming in and you split everything you accumulated together. But you know, I was so wrong. It's nowhere near that simple. The average divorce takes over a year to complete, costs 15 grand per spouse. And I just saw the destruction that happens to people, to spouses emotionally, financially, psychologically. And I wanted to avoid it I don't think it's controversial to say a messy divorce is best avoided at all costs. So my initial take was don't get married. Don't ever put yourself in a position 
to go through a divorce, right? That's funny that you say that because I don't know if you ever heard of the red pill community on the internet, but that's the basically thought that a lot of men and maybe some women too, especially women being high income earners more than ever, right? Today, Mm -hmm. the thought is I'm not getting married. I don't want to have to split anything 50-50 or money becomes such a contentious topic. And really, I think for our generation, the millennial generation, it's put a distaste in, in people's mouths of just wanting to get married because of seeing maybe our parents get divorced and just the changing dynamics and the value of marriage today. So what are your thoughts on that? Like when people say, well, I'm not getting divorced because money is such a money, such an issue. Yeah, I, I understand it is. It's terrifying to get into a relationship that if it doesn't work out, can have such a monumental impact on your life. At the same time, I have always been kind of pro-commitment. I wanted that lifelong relationship for myself. And when I met my future spouse and thought, hey, this is someone that I could have a life with, that I could see myself growing old with, but I want to make sure I can do it the right way. Can I take the lessons that I've seen from what other people have done wrong and try to prevent as many of those pitfalls as possible? Okay, so let's get into it. What is the right way to set up your marriage, right? We like to encourage couples to have important conversations before they even walk down the aisle. So how would you set yourself up for a successful marriage? Yeah, I obviously was the founder of prenups.com. I think that is a part of it. But before we even get to that, I think a lot of it is having these intentional conversations about what marriage means for you, about what you are expecting, what you plan to give, what are each spouse's kind of rights and responsibilities in the relationship, and certainly discussing finances, structuring your finances in the correct way that is going to lead to a relationship that minimizes arguments and maximizes happiness and satisfaction. Okay. So how do you structure your finances? So I think you know, when you think about structuring your finances, I think we have to recognize how complex modern finances are. I look at my parents got married in the 1960s and people in the 1960s got married uh, at an average age of about 20, 21 years old. And so the average couple getting married back then was likely to have maybe one bank account between the two of them. They had no credit cards, barely existed back then. 401ks had not been invented, so there was no retirement. They likely had no house, no business. Student loans weren't so anything much simpler. like they are today. It was so much simpler. I liken it to a couple starting a, a startup business together in their garage. No assets, complete blank slate. Whereas the average couple who gets married today is closer to 30 years old. They're likely to have four to five bank accounts each, three to four credit cards each, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans, uh, a house with some equity. They each have their own car. There may be a small business involved. And so if the couple in the 1960s was a startup company in your garage, the average couple getting married today, it's like a merger of two fully formed corporations. And You just would never do that without a really well thought out plan about how you're going to make it work. That's such a good point, right? And I hear what you're saying because 
I've had a contention, I guess, with, oh, a prenup. Do I even need a prenup? But you're right. Like when you are a little older and you have basically your life set, it does kind of make sense to make sure that you're legally protected, your assets are protected. And it's so true that when our grandparents got married back in the day or our parents, life was just so much easier, right? Today, things are just not as simple. And so I guess what's the first step, right? That that people who are interested in marriage who are maybe 30 something today, like what's the first step that they should take to protect themselves and their future? God forbid, we don't promote divorce on this platform, but should your marriage not work out for whatever reason, how should people set themselves up? Yeah, yeah. I think, so one thing I'd like to throw in is what a prenup is, because I think that there's a lot of misconceptions. Before I started practicing family law, I thought what probably most people, a lot of your listeners think, which is that a prenup is just planning for divorce before your marriage even starts, right? You are, you're already planning for disaster. You're jinxing your marriage, maybe. Prenup is really a set of rules that defines your financial relationship, both during and if necessary, after the marriage. And I think it's important to point that out because a lot of people think that a prenup is just, if we get divorced, what do you get and what do I get? A better way to think of it is like a partnership agreement for your marriage, like a business partnership. If you're going into business with someone, you're likely going to put down on paper how things are going to work. What are your rights and responsibilities? What are my duties in the relationship? Who owns what percentage of the business? You're going to put mechanisms in place to give give the business the best chance of success. And of course, any good business plan will spell out what happens if one partner leaves the business, right? But that's not the goal of the business plan. That's not the goal of the partnership agreement. It is just an additional protection. And so if you do write a prenup and it just says, here's what I get, here's what you get, I don't think that's a good way to start off your marriage. Instead, I think that we should take advantage of a lot of the benefits that prenups offer. For example, for any prenup to be enforceable, Each spouse has to disclose all of their assets and debts and income in writing at the before you sign the agreement. And just that simple act of transparency alone can do wonders for couples that otherwise never get around to discussing what their finances look like. When you put it that way, it does sound like, wow, one, I love the fact that when you're putting everything down on paper, you are just kind of creating a transparency between you and your partner, right? And also, so there's a level of vulnerability, right? That I think is important for couples to experience, right? Before they decide to get married. So, wow. So I never even like really thought about it that way that it can allow couples to have that tough money conversation, right? Before marriage, like talking through. And I love the way that you put it as like, this is basically like just defining what your business partnership if you will, looks like. Not that marriage is a business, but it is an important... I do think it's important to talk through some of these things well ahead, right? Well ahead of your marriage. So what's next? So you sit down, you divulge your debts, your income, et cetera, all your financials. So what comes next after that? Yeah. Then the way I like to think about it is setting up your money buckets, right? So you've got mine, you've got yours, and you've got ours. And kind of deciding what is going to go into the joint buckets, what's going to go into the separate buckets. If you come in with assets, if you've come in with debts, I don't want 
you to be responsible for the student loans that I bring in or the credit cards that I bring in. And so just being clear about those are going to be my responsibilities. I'm going to pay those separately and then putting the right things in the right bucket. So if you've got a joint bucket or a joint bank account, I think all couples should have a joint bank account. You can't, you can't go Dutch for life. Right. And, and then decide, are you going to use what I call the inside out plan or the outside in plan? So the inside out plan is where all of your income goes into the joint account and you each get kind of an allowance or like a spending privileges that comes out of the joint account and goes into your separate account and you can spend that on whatever you want. And I think it's important to have kind of separate bank accounts to do your personal spending from because if I update my iPhone every year, my wife would never do that. She would see that as like a big waste of money and it would drive her crazy to see that thousand dollars or whatever come out of the joint bank account. Meanwhile, I'm a brown bagger for lunch. I make my you make a sandwich. I can eat a PBJ every single day. And my wife likes to have the variety. She likes to go out to eat. And if I see that expense coming out of the bank account every day, that would drive me crazy. And at the end of the year, we might be spending the same amount on our kind of discretionary spending. But because it's coming out of our separate accounts, we don't have to worry about oversight. It's not about what we're spending the money on. It's about how much we're spending it on. So as long as we create an equal playing field on how much each of us get in our spending accounts, then you know we're just it just takes one of those potential arguments off the table. And we've agreed ahead of time what kind of things come out of the joint bank account. So there's not going to be any argument over those types of issues. I love that. And that's exactly how we manage our finances, right? We have our joint uh, account where all of our income flows into, and then we each give ourselves an allowance. We agree on the amount of money or the percentage uh, for each of our allowances. And that comes out of our personal checking account. So I love like just the way that potentially just going through this process of creating a prenuptial agreement really does spark the necessary conversations that couples need to have around money, right? Because some couples may say, hey, I don't want to have a joint bank account, right? With their spouse. And I've heard that, I've seen it. But, you know, I think the more that you can talk about and have uncomfortable conversations with the person that you are vowing to spend the rest of your life with, the better. Because the last thing you want is to have these conversations when you're five years down the line in a marriage with children. And it creates like a wall between you and your partner, right? So what do you think about that? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. It is all about having these conversations proactively. So they're not having, they're not coming on the tail end of an argument years into the marriage. So for example, another example, my wife and I have a rule in our prenup that says that before either of us can spend over $500 from a joint account, we've got to have a conversation about it. and. No matter who you are, there's an amount that you want discussed before it comes out of your own bank account. For some people, it might be $50. For some people, it might be $5,000. But everybody's got a number that they want there to be some discussion. And if you have that rule ahead of time, then it's just, it works its way into your marriage. And you develop this habit of communicating about things that affect your partner out of respect for your partner. In, in reality, we discuss things well under $500. We discuss things under $200 because it's become a habit for us rather than if you have to have this conversation five years into the marriage, now it feels punitive. Okay, you can't spend any more money from the joint account unless you check in with me first. And then that's a weird way to go about it rather than forcing that conversation at the beginning of the marriage. 
What are some of the things that you've seen, I guess, kind of uh, being the attorney for thousands of divorces? I'm just curious, and this might be an aside, but what have you seen are some of the biggest issues why couples end up going through divorce court? Yeah, particularly as it pertains to finances. I mean, let's go back to root causes. I think that I am a believer that the same things that make for a good and fair prenup make for a good and healthy marriage. And so there's three principles that I look to incorporate in my prenups, transparency, communication, and fairness, right? And so particularly when it comes to communication, there are a lot of couples where they're just following kind of like the rules of what their parents or their grandparents' generation did. And so one spouse handles the finances and the other spouse has no idea what's going on. So many people came into my office and I said, well, what are the what are the assets? What are the debts? What's the financial picture look like? And they said, I have no idea. He just handled it all throughout the marriage. I have, I have no idea. And so one, that's one person who creates this power imbalance inside the relationship where one person is the holder of the keys, the holder of all the books and the finances, and the other person just has to trust them to go along. And some nightmares can come out of it. I mean, I I had one case where the husband managed all the finances, and this was like a 30, 40-year marriage. He entered all of the finances throughout the relationship. And the wife thought that they were doing really well, thought that they had millions, only to find out during the divorce case, we found out that he'd started coming down on her for her spending and criticizing her for her spending. Come to find out, he had taken all of their retirement, millions of dollars, and basically gambled it away in the stock market. He got really into this one stock and he'd dump all this money into it. Then it would go down. He'd panic. He'd sell it all. Then it started to go up. He'd try to ride the way back up. And over the course of several years, they were left, they went from a million bucks to 10,000. And this is the kind of thing that just simply can't happen. I don't know. I think that's the reason for divorce. <laughs> if I had right. to choose, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Right, right. Kind of. Through thick yeah. and thin. <laughs> that's a lot of thinning. I don't know. Right. Too much thinning. And something like that is just, it's such a betrayal, but it's also the kind of thing that doesn't happen if you put certain guard rules in place. So for example, another thing that my wife and I have in our relationship and that I, I recommend for my clients is having kind of a, an annual shareholders meeting, right? Where you have an agenda and you sit down and you talk about what was the income from last year? What were the biggest expenditures? Did those expenditures align with our values? Were there any big surprises? And you can take all that information and then use that to inform your budget for the upcoming year and do planning of the things that are important to you. So another example is I like, you know, my wife and I, our big, our big thing is travel. We love to travel. And so we made an agreement ahead of time that we're going to take 5% of all of our take-home income and dump it into a travel bucket, a travel fund. So that whenever we want to take a trip, the money is there. You might call it a, a sinking fund account or a, a goal fund account. And But which, whichever way you do it, it can be a positive thing. The money conversation doesn't always have to be like tension and about you need to cut back on this and I'll cut back on this, but you can plan kind of fun things that you're both aligned on and use almost as a kind of a game to make it a positive thing. So you're on the same team in terms of financial planning. I love that. And I think that's some of what we do too, right? Like we kind of determine like how we're allocating our expenses and we do meet, right? Yeah. At least once a year to talk through, okay, what are our goals, our money goals, right? Yeah. Then- so at the beginning of the year, we 
theme our years, right? Each year has a theme. And then we review like our goals for all of that year. And then like on a quarterly basis, we review those goals and the theme of the year, which correspond. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very important to do, right? Because you can like track a lot of times people sometimes track month to month, but you want the overall indicator, much like a company of how you did for the year. So you can kind of uh, forecast what you will do for the following year and so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a great idea. And maybe not a shareholders meeting, but maybe you call it like a marriage mission meeting or something like that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. 3M. 3M. Yeah. Marriage mission mo- meeting. Yeah. I like that, man. Okay. That's good. Or marriage money mission. I don't yeah. know. Something like that. So yeah. a lot of times when you're drafting these prenups, though, at least what I've seen, it seems very one sided. Right. And I mean, what I mean is that one person is coming in with the majority of the assets and it's almost like they're telling the other person this is based on the prenup, this is what's going to happen or how we're going to dissolve our assets post-divorce or whatever the case may be. What do you say to that? Because I love how we're talking. It seems like kumbaya. Oh yeah, let's do this prenup. It's We'll have transparency and vulnerability. But sometimes that's not how the conversation starts. It's more of like a one-sided Thing. Do you, do you- yeah, I think a good scenario is let's say there's a breadwinner. Let's say they have they, they let's say they make a million dollars a year. Right. And then you get married and you decide that, hey, I want to have four or five kids. Right. And I want them to be homeschooled, for example. Right. Uh, whoever's taking the primary custody of raising that child in homeschool, they're going to lose income potential by raising that child. Right. Which is often the woman. But if the person who's making more money has more leverage, how does a prenup benefit that said person? Yeah, I love that you asked this question. I mean, you're exactly right. Part of the reason that prenups have such a bad reputation and such stigma is that they have been used to lock in these unfair power dynamics and unfair sharing of resources inside the household. It's a, it's a big reason why I am on this mission to educate people about how prenups can be used for good. I mean, the same way that a prenup is just, it's, it's an agreement. It's an agreement like any other contract. And the same way that it can be used to kind of solidify and lock in this unfair power dynamic and unequal access to finances, you can lock yourself in to a fair financial situation And the person who is not the more moneyed spouse or not the breadwinner needs to have the knowledge of what to look for and what to ask for in a prenuptial agreement. When somebody comes to me and they are the spouse with more money, I try to explain to them that what I've learned from all the divorce cases I've been a part of is two people living in the same household, but in different socioeconomic classes doesn't work. It's a recipe for disaster. You have to set yourself up so that your your finances are in a way that if you have a big financial win, your spouse has a big financial win, right? If you get a big bonus at work and you come home and, hey, I got a big bonus and your spouse is good for you, then you got your finances set up wrong. They should be participating in when things go up and they should be there when things go down. And particularly, I love that you brought up, RJ, the example of someone staying home and not working because I one thing that I've seen certainly in a lot of divorce cases is the spouse who's working when they get, when it gets to the end of the marriage, they're like, what do you mean? I have to give her half my retirement. What do you mean? I have to give him half of the equity in my house. I paid for that. I earned that. And we have this tendency to devalue the non-financial contributions 
to a marriage. These contributions like taking care of the home and taking care of the children. Maybe it's moving for somebody else's job or just being there to support the other spouse where earning all that money wouldn't have even been possible if you didn't have somebody holding you down like that. And recognizing that it's a true partnership and that the same way that you can lock yourself into, I'm keeping all of my assets and you keep whatever you have, you can lock yourself into whatever we build together, we're going to split 50-50. If anything ever happens, rather than go to court and we spend 20% of our net worth fighting over who should get the majority of the assets, we're going to lock ourselves in to what we agree. And people are always more willing to be fair on the front end than they are in the back end. That's my experience. So basically, we're just saying that prenup is better because instead of a court telling you what to divide or what to give, you're setting that in place beforehand. Yeah. And and you agree what the rules are. Like, I'll give you a common example of an issue that comes up in today's world, right? Two people get married. One already owns a house, right? They've got some equity in the house and the other spouse moves into that house. How do you figure out what happens in that house? Who owns what? Is the person who moves in, are they paying rent to the other spouse and the other spouse is the one maintaining it? Do they buy into the house? Are they, do they share in the equity that is gained after the day that they get married? Or does the person who owned the house, if they split in a year, does that person lose everything that they built up until then? That's a very common issue that people have. And a lot of times people just assume that one thing is happening and a completely different thing is happening. So one spouse will pay the mortgage. They'll be like, it's my house. I'll pay the mortgage. I'll pay all the bills associated with it. And then that couple splits up 10 years down the line and they realize that the court didn't care. As soon as you get married, every dollar that either spouse earns is considered under the law to be marital money. And so you have this one spouse who was expecting, I thought that I was being protected and that this house belonged to me because I paid all the bills for it. And then they get in front of a judge and the judge says, I know you've paid every mortgage payment for the past 20 years, but this house is about to be split 50-50. And what's key is that kind of discrepancy between what each spouse's expectations are doesn't, it's not just relevant when they get divorced. It's relevant during the marriage itself, right? If one spouse thinks the house belongs to them and the other spouse thinks that it's a joint house, that's going to cause friction in the marriage no matter what. I mean, better to agree on what the rules are at the beginning. One of the things that I've seen, though, right, is that even when couples do agree, like they have the prenup in place, when it comes time for the going through the divorce, sometimes those terms can change, right? Sometimes what you agreed ahead of time in the prenup, you can fight those terms, right? Yeah, people will sometimes try to get the prenup thrown out if they don't think it's advantageous to them. But I think a lot of that comes from you should want to write a prenup that neither of you want to get out of at the end. You know what? That is a good way to put it, right? I love that. Write a prenup that neither of you want to get out of at the end. That'll keep marriages together. (laughs) I think you've shared a lot of like really great information. I've never thought to write up a prenup. It's never been something that I'm like, you know what? Especially just I guess just not having all the information, right, about prenups. I think so many of us have these preconceived ideas of what it is, but I definitely do, just based on this conversation, think that it can just create a stronger financial foundation for couples because you are being transparent upfront. You are being vulnerable upfront, right? And having those uncomfortable conversations to hopefully avoid conflict in your marriage. Yeah, I think a lot of people object to what they 
what they believe prenup to be, but it's a contract like any other kind. You can put what you want in there. And if you write it in a way to protect your marriage, to incentivize you to work on the marriage, I think it can be a force for good. One other example I want to throw in there is my wife and I, my wife is also a lawyer. And we were like, what are the things that we could put in that would encourage us to marriage to last? And so one thing that I saw in my divorce work is when one spouse wants to go to counseling, the other spouse isn't interested in doing it. And then that spouse comes around and the first spouse is given up. And so we made a rule and wrote it into our agreement that if either one of us wants to go to counseling, we're going to counseling. We have, we either one of us can trigger a provision where we'll go to three counseling sessions per year. And if either one of us were on the verge of trying to end the marriage, then it goes up to six counseling sessions. There's no discussion. There's no, Oh, we don't need it. That kind of thing. If one of us wants to go, we're going. And if you can convince couples to not wait until their marriage is at a two out of 10, where it's probably too late and the communication, the trust has already been lost, but instead go to counseling, get help when you're at a seven and you're trying to get back to that nine, that feeling of a nine, you're a six, you're trying to get back up to an eight. That's the time to do it. And locking yourself into things that that are going to help make help preserve the relationship, helping the marriage last is something that you can think about going in if you're intentional about having these conversations on the front. I had a quick question just regarding prenups in general and your experience over uh, a thousand divorces, right? Do you find that people with prenups are more likely to stay together or get divorced? Yeah, there's no good information either way, but the statistics say that sent of mental health counselors find that you're no more likely to get divorced just by virtue of having a prenup. I know that goes against kind of popular conception, but the way I look at it is this. It can act as like an insurance on your marriage. If you go get car insurance, that doesn't mean that you're going to go out and start driving more recklessly, right? If you get life insurance, you're not going to go pick up skydiving the next day. If you have home insurance, you are still going to do everything you can in your power to keep your home from burning down. And, and the same thing, if you have a prenup in place, yes, it can prevent you against a messy divorce, but you are also going to do everything possible, everything in your power to stay married. And if you're doing it the right way, then at least it means that you might be even more intentional about having kind of the difficult conversations, the uncomfortable conversations that may not be fun, but are necessary to give you the tools to make your marriage succeed. Yeah, I love that. That's so true. So I guess for our listeners right now, let's say you're already married, right? What is your advice to already married couples? Because it's easy when before you get married to probably bring it up easier versus if you're currently <laughs> married and like, hey, I'm thinking I'm going to I think I want to prenup like. Yeah, you just come out. <laughs> you want me I to bring up that conversation. Having your four kids and. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and look, whether you're trying to get a prenup or you're looking to get a postnup, I think the wrong way to go about it is to walk in and say, Hey babe, I want a prenup or I want a postnup. It, I think it is much healthier to start with what you are trying to accomplish. Right. So, Hey, I think it would be a good idea for us to disclose all of our finances to each other. We haven't been as open as we could be about it. Let's put all of our assets and debts down on a sheet of paper and share it with each other. Hey, I think it would be a good idea 
for us to have an annual meeting or a quarterly meeting where we sit down and talk about what do we want out of our financial life and how can we work together to get there? Or I think that we should set up some different funds so that we can contribute, get on the same page and reach the goals that we have. And yeah, maybe it'd be a good idea to just lock ourselves into a situation where do we agree that we're 50-50 on this? If so, let's put it in writing. Let's lock it in rather than just going with the word that we know has so much stigma attached to it. I think that so many couples, whether you actually get a legal agreement or not, can benefit from the process of going through what couples go through when getting a prenup, which is deciding what are your rights, whose responsibility are the debts that we have? Are we joint owners in all of the assets that we have? How are we setting up our bank accounts? How does our income flow? Have we put things in place to make sure that we have equality on the home front? Those types of tools that can benefit couples that are getting married or have been married for 20 years. Yeah, that's great advice. We, uh, it's been great for us to do our annual meeting for our goals and themes and obviously doing the budget and having family values as well as a part, something that we, me and Angie does as well. So I wanted to kind of just kind of talk about what you've learned over your experience as a divorce attorney about marriage. What would you, out of all your years of experience as a divorce, what have you ultimately learned about marriage? And then also what have you learned in your own personal marriage? Yeah, this didn't specifically come from my divorce work, but you know, my dad said something that has stuck with me for a long time, which is to stay married, you got to be committed to the idea of commitment. It's not just enough to say, oh, this person is the one and everything should be easy and it's just going to flow. There are things that you can intentionally do why the reason that your podcast name is so brilliant. The, there are things that you can do intentionally to give your marriage a better chance of success. It's not always going to be fun. It's not going to be 100% rainbows and romance. And to just recognize that the success of your marriage is in large part up to you, that you can take steps to give yourself a better chance. Not every relationship, I don't believe every relationship was meant to last forever. Certainly there are issues of abuse and substance abuse and violence that shouldn't be tolerated, but that if you go back to the bedrock principles of transparency, communication, and fairness, and keep those things at the forefront of your relationship, certainly of your finances, that it only bodes well for your relationship. Yeah, I, I, I so agree with that, right? The the commitment, right? And persevering and, and adhering to that commitment, right? Because uh, at times, no marriage is perfect, right? There's going to be ups and downs. People are human. They will make mistakes. And I think in our like social media climate today, instant gratification is synony- synonymous with like everyday life, right? Everything comes to you in an instant. And a lot of times in terms of successful marriage, it it's investing in compound interest. But when it comes to your marriage, like what you invest into it, that's what eventually will grow. But you have to be able to persevere through ups and downs. So I I definitely agree with that. And I think people, I would say pop culture today is like, oh, something's too hard. You can just give up on it. And I think generations before that was like, uh, a lot of times maybe they had to in some instances, but also I think it was a part of the culture to kind of work through issues in your marriage. So obviously there's pros and cons in terms of today and, and, and yesteryear, but commitment is something that we we say during our vows. So we should, you know, adhere to it and try our best to, you know, be the best version in our marriage uh, to our partner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I can participate in, in a thousand divorces and still come out 
hopeful and, and romantic and a believer in marriage, then it's certainly possible. Yes, uh, agreed, agreed. And this has been an amazing interview. I mean, Angie, we didn't really bring up this topic before, but just seeing some of the work that you've done and the perspective that you have when it comes to prenups, I thought it would be great to kind of bring it up and talk about it to all of our RBI family that's listening now. So thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on the podcast. Lastly, where can people find to learn more about you and your platform, prenups.com? Yeah. So yeah, certainly people can come to the website, prenups.com. You can also follow me on uh, social media like Instagram at prenupguy. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Aaron. This has been a blast. Our daughter was a special guest, but we persevered (laughs) through that. So appreciate you for coming on and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration. 